University was founded in 1946 by world-renowned inventor and industrialist R.G. Letourneau and his wife Evelyn. Though he had given his life to Christ early on, R.G. Letourneau had also heeded the advice that God needs businessmen as much as pastors. 
and became one of the world's most prolific inventors with almost 300 patents. He became known as a mover of men and mountains. Inventions included the forerunner of the modern earth mover, the electric wheel, the tree crusher, the log picker, the bulldozer, the airplane tow, the air crane, and the first offshore oil platform. He designed and built 70% of the heavy earth-moving equipment used in World War II. Evelyn Letourneau, in addition to rearing six children, conducted Bible studies, started Christian youth camps, and counseled, fed, and even housed the young men her husband employed. R.G. and Evelyn had a goal to reach the world, especially young people, with the gospel of Christ. An early camp employee was a very young Billy Graham. One day in 1945, the Letourneaus were flying over Longview, scouting locations for a new heavy equipment factory. They looked down upon the 156 acres and 232 buildings of the abandoned Harmon Army General Hospital, scheduled for demolition. They agreed that the facilities should not be destroyed, but instead reclaimed as a school to train employees. And in 1946, the Letourneau Technical Institute opened its doors with 196 students. Degrees were offered in building trades, electrical maintenance, industrial science, lithography, metallurgy, machine tooling, and welding. The growing Technical Institute was expanded with a School of Arts and Sciences and renamed Letourneau College in 1961. True desire in the heart for anything good is God's proof to you sent beforehand to indicate that it's yours already. So the desire you have, that itch that you have to be whatever it is you want to be, in front of the camera, on, on the stage, behind the stage, that itch, that desire for good is God's proof to you, sent already to indicate that it's yours. You already have it. Claim it. Understand this. Understand this also. You have these dreams, and as Kenny said, Dreams without goals remain dreams, just dreams, and ultimately fuel disappointment. Mm -hmm. Dreams without goals, yearly goals, life goals, daily goals, monthly goals, hourly goals, minute-by-minute minute goals. Dreams without goals are just dreams, and they ultimately fuel disappointment. Goals on the road to achievement cannot be achieved without discipline and consistency. Hmm. You understand? Between goals and achievement are discipline and consistency. I pray that you all put your shoes way under the bed at night so that you got to get on your knees in the morning. <laughs> and while you're down there, Thank God for grace and mercy and understanding. We all fall short of the glory. We all got plenty. Just If you just start thinking of all the things you got to say thank you for, <laughs> that's a day. Come on, That's easily a day. Right? So you have all been given these gifts. We have a little boy in our show we're doing Raising in the Sun. And he, we have a circle we pray every day. And his prayer, he, this boy is prayed up. He just <laughs> prays that we go out and touch someone tonight. He says, God, somebody out there needs us tonight. And we all have that unique gift to go out and touch people, to affect people, understand that gift, protect that gift, appreciate that gift, utilize that gift, don't abuse that gift, treasure it. You have it. You already have it. And finally, I'll say this. You'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. I'll say it again. You'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. Now, I've been blessed to make hundreds of millions of dollars in my life. I can't take it with me. Hmm. 
and neither can you. So it's not how much you have, it's what you do with what you have. And we all have different gifts. Some money, some love, some patience, some the ability to touch people, but we all have it. Use it, share it. That's what counts. Not what you're driving, not what you're flying in, not what kind of house you bought your mama, but buy your mama house. My heart was beating like crazy, and then it just splitting pain in my chest, and it stopped. And I'm hearing this voice saying, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die. 22-year-old Ben Smith was a long way from home when he heard that voice. He had come to London to go to college, but school was the furthest thing from his mind. When I got to London, that was when I really uh, went, went crazy, so, and just drank all the time. I started smoking marijuana all the time, and, you know, I was, I did some ecstasy, I did some various different substances. I wanted freedom, and I thought that the freedom that I would find would be in those things and not in God. Ben was raised in a Christian home, and now the only thing his mother could do was pray. He was completely out of control, and that's when I really started um, praying. He would call me, and I would just pray with him. I would speak truth to him. I'd tell him the fullness of the truth. I'd use scripture. But he only saw God as someone to give him what he wanted. I wanted some power. I wanted some control over my life. I really wanted God to be my genie. Um, I just wanted to rub the magic lamp, and then all of a sudden, boom, you know, money starts falling from the sky. Beautiful women start falling from the sky, you know, Porsches, Ferraris, you know, the whole bit. One day, a stranger approached him on the street. He said, thank God every day. Promise me you'll do that. And I was like, yeah, okay. And I was like, maybe I should. Maybe I should thank God. Though we thought about what the man said about God, Ben was still focused on getting what he wanted on his terms. He started reading a book that seemed to give him answers. The book was basically about how you can be a God and that Jesus had this realization and that he tried to pass this, this realization onto humanity. And I started thinking about it and I just sort of had this belief all of a sudden that I was a God. The spiritual force comes into the room almost instantaneously and it felt blissful. It got stronger and stronger and stronger, and all of a sudden the bliss became so powerful on my physical body that it totally turned into total terror, and it felt like I was being pushed through my bed, and it, like literally like I was going through the floors of my apartment. And I have my eyes closed, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, to get in touch with this because I thought it was God. And then I realized, I was like, if you kept going, where would you wind up? You're going down, not up. <laughs> where would you wind up? And I, I said, in hell. Ben says he wasn't on drugs, nor was he dreaming. To him, it was real. He asked a friend about it who took him to a man named Daniel. In his home, things got even stranger. I could hear him communicate to me telepathically. And he was looking at me, and I was hearing his voice. I look up at him, and he's staring at me with just these like Hitler-like eyes, just staring at me with this hand on his temple. And all of a sudden, my heart just starts beating involuntarily, just boom, 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 faster and faster and faster. And then it just splitting pain in my chest, and it stopped. It was totally had stopped. I felt the blood stagnate in my veins. Ben's body never left the room, but he says his spirit went to a place he believes was the gates of hell. It was the same room in the shape of the room with the same people in the shape of the people, but they weren't the same people. It wasn't the same room. And so I looked around, I said, what's going on here? They weren't going to answer my question. Then I asked to talk to Satan. I said, I want to talk to Satan. Daniel leans forward and he says, you can't talk to Satan yet. Just like as blank and as cold as you can possibly imagine. Then I saw myself actually with massive amounts of money, massive amounts of power you know all of these things and I was like yeah hey this isn't so bad and it was suddenly like I had a chance to literally sell my soul to Satan and I would get all of these things and I'd get a shot back on earth but Ben realized that he was being lied to and I said no 
I want to talk to Jesus. And as soon as I said that, man, boom, these guys, they get thrown back into their chairs. There's this like glorious sort of light. It was just a beautiful luminescence, but in it was like love. And at the same time, I'm hearing, no, he's not going to save you. He's not going to save you from Satan. And this glorious light's coming in. I just keep begging God. I'm like, Jesus, save me. And at that second, <gasps> air came back into my lungs and my heart began to beat. Ben ran out of the apartment and drove himself home. But his heart was still racing, and he told his roommates to call an ambulance. He had enough strength to call his mother and ask her to pray. He said, Mom, I'm having a heart attack. I'm dying. I've got to go to the hospital. And I had gotten to where I was pretty fervent in my prayer, and I was beginning to understand really praying prayers of faith. I called the 700 Club because I joined them that summer before, and I thought, I've got to have some power behind me. Emergency workers stabilized Ben's heart. In the ER, he thought about all that happened. While I was waiting, I wrestled with faith. What is faith? How do you have faith in God? What does that even mean? And so I was like, you just have to trust that God saved you for a reason. When he left the hospital, he called for a cab to take him home. I get in the cab and I shut the door, but I was still terrified. I needed to state an absolute reality. So I said, there's a heaven and a hell, there's a good and evil, and there's a God and his name is Jesus Christ. The cab driver literally jumps in his seat, turns around, and he says, let me tell you something, brother. You're absolutely right. The driver was also a pastor of a local church. Ben shared his story, and the pastor led him in a prayer to ask Christ into his heart. We prayed the prayer, you know, forgive me of my sins. You know, I believe in you, and I believed in God. And I said, is that it? And he just kind of paused for a second, and then he said, no. And I pray that you would receive the Holy Spirit. And when he said that, Man, it clicked. I'd felt the Holy Spirit fall on me, literally fell. And this just total peace, this calmness, and, and I knew that I was saved. It was just the beginning, I think, of really beginning to see all that God can do and that prayer, how he answers prayer. Ben returned home to Texas and started focusing on his new life with God. Now he is truly free. I was desperately in bondage mentally about the things that I believed about the way that I should live all of those things I was I was I was totally a slave to uh, lies and so even when we are not faithful he is faithful and then you see that, that that's his kindness and that's the kindness that leads you to repentance and so finally I've gotten to the point where I realize really not my will be done but your will be done but also that I can trust him I came from a third-generation welfare recipient family. My family had never made a mark, and I've searched back 500 years. I had uh, four fathers and two mothers. Most of my relatives had free board and lodgings with King George VI. That meant they were in jail. I've uh, never gone through formal schooling. I've never had the disadvantage of going to university. <laughs> At 26 years of age, I was an illiterate bricklayer and stonemason. I had great problems in articulation, great problems in comprehension. I went to school as a normal child goes to school, but I went very late. I was much older than the other children. I had come out of hospital after suffering the debilitating disease called diphtheria and I was skinny and weak and they tried to do some educational assessment on me and they said this kid he's just one brick short of a load he's not playing with a full deck his elevator doesn't go to the top floor and they're going to put me with a group of brain damaged children called an opportunity class until along came a teacher called Miss Phillips she would make the Rock of Gibraltar look like a marshmallow. Uh, I, she, I've often thought in retrospect that she could kickstart a jumbo jet <laughs> with her left leg and a shoe off. She would make the Rock of Gibraltar look like a marshmallow. And uh, she said, he's not brain damaged, he's just plain stupid. And for three years she punched me, she kicked me, she slapped me, she didn't get any sense into me or out of me. She used to get me by the chin and rattle my teeth and say, Peter Daniels, you're a bad, bad boy and you're never going to amount to anything. And that became a self-fulfilling 
prophecy at 26 years of age. I was a bricklayer, stonemason, hopelessly in debt. But on May the 25th, 1959, I went along to a Billy Graham crusade in Adelaide, South Australia, where we live. And when I heard the gospel in clear terms for the first time, I suddenly realized I was equal with all men before God, and I reasoned that if I was equal with all men before God, I no need to accept any quality with anyone. I was the son of a king. And I wish you could know the difference that that makes. Well, I suddenly didn't become intellectually brilliant, but I knew that I knew that I knew that something had happened. And someone took hold of the book of Joel and read these words, I will restore unto you the years the locust has eaten. And I wanted that restoration, but what if you come from the other side of the tracks? What if nobody is interested in you and then God gives you two dreams so big you can hardly comprehend it? How do you handle it? Well, I wrote it on the back of a cereal package. Everything I had to have done by my 85th birthday before I moved into second gear. One of the dreams was to see how much money one human being could give away in their lifetime. Now I'm not talking about being ordinarily poor. We had to reach up to touch bottom. How do you handle that? Well, I found the best helping hand you can get is the one at the end of your own arm. And I went down and I, I bought three dictionaries. I put one next to my bed. I put one in the toilet. That's a good place to read. And I put one in my excuse for a motor car. Now, I need to tell you about this motor car. This was a 1937 Ford V8 Clubman sedan that had been rolled three times. The hood was crushed in. The windows were gone. We'd kept the doors on with wire. It wasn't the cost of the gasoline that bothered me, it was how much oil this confounded thing used. I drove it very carefully, I could get 14 miles to the gallon of oil. I used to purchase second-hand sump oil and keep it in the trunk with a plug spanner. And, and uh, if anyone showed any disrespect for my motor car, I would stop it in the middle of the traffic. I'd let a bank up. They would swear at me, they would shake their fists, they'd hit their horns. I'd just sit there. You can't move me. When it was all backed up, I'd put my foot on the clutch and slap it on the accelerator and I would baptize them in oil. <laughs> I kept pointing to words in dictionaries and getting people to tell me what they meant and then I'd check with two or three other people to make sure the first one told me the truth. You've seen Crocodiles Dundee, Australians are great kidders. Wherever I go around the world, people say, what are Australians like? Well, we're a very balanced people. We have a chip on each shoulder. <laughs> well, I started pointing to words in dictionaries and getting people to correct me. Then I'd check with two or three other people to make sure the first one told me the truth. I went through those dictionaries frontwards and then backwards until I understood every single word. Then I read 2,000 biographies. I haven't got polygrip, I said 2,000. Then I studied law, accountancy, philosophy, theology, modern ancient history, politics and economics. I found the mind was like a muscle and it could be developed. And then I went into business. Lost everything. <laughs> I want to tell you, that'll clear your sinuses. <laughs> I paid it back and went into business again. Lost it again. I mean, you learn nothing new from the second kick from a horse. I paid it back. I was going in the business third time. My wife said to me, Peter, just get a job. Just get an ordinary job. Be a garbage collector, anything. Just get a job. Just have some regular money coming in. She said, uh, Peter, winter's coming. Peter Jr. needs shoes for school and, and Graham needs a sweater and I'm pregnant again. And you've spent all this money on books. I can't see anything happening. You take three steps forward and four steps backwards. She said, I can't see anything happening. On our 33rd wedding anniversary, I bought a beautiful necklace. I mean, it was 49-carat opal with 33 diamonds on This thing's so big, when she walks, she has to walk like this. <laughs> I said, you haven't complained about the books and tapes I bought lately. But I, I, went and, I paid it back the second time, went into business the third time and lost it again. What do you do when your dreams start to fade? 
You reach for one more dream. We should never give up, let up or shut up until God takes us up. Well, I went into business a third time and lost it again. Paid it back and went into business a fourth time and built one of the largest real estate corporations of its kind in our nation with offices in Singapore and Hong Kong. We sold those out many years ago. Today, our business interests spread almost around the entire world. We're very unusual in business. We have no overdrafts, no loans, no mortgages anywhere in the world. We've never been sued. We've never sued anyone. Um, we are the only corporation on the face of the earth that has its own private currency. We're the only family in the world that has its own private bullion bank called Anglo Far East Bullion Company. Now, my mind works a little bit different because I've never ever gone through formal schooling according to psychologists and and others, they say you have a very different mind. You can read eight books at a time. Uh, and uh, would you believe a Texan paid me $1 million for 15 minutes advice? You made $120 million. You're not that smart. I really only took 10 minutes, but I say 15 minutes because it sounds better. An Australian company paid me $1 million for advice. About eight years ago, we did two films on economics. We contested it against 1,600 other major corporations in the world at the Video and Film Festival in Chicago, including General Motors, Ford, Mercedes-Benz, Boeing. We won. We won the gold for directorship and the silver for content, and it was on biblical economics. It took us to the top 10% of advisors in the entire world on economics. Now I'm your wake-up call. I'm not coming back. I come once. Tomorrow night I'm going to show you how to go into business and win every single time. I'm tired of Christians being broke. You stay in a job. You know what job stands for? Just over broke. It's time for you to take back the economics. It's time for you to stop being employment fodder, suffocating in the amorphous glob of sameness. What if I told you that you cannot fail? What if I told you that you cannot lose? Failure is not an option, losing isn't even in the playbook, and no matter what you do, no matter what you put your hand to, you're going to be successful. What if I told you that the only person who can stop you from accomplishing what God called you to do is you? See, God doesn't want you to live an ordinary life. God doesn't want you to have a mundane existence. He freed you for a reason. God wants you to live sold out. He wants you to chase the dreams and the passions that he put within your heart. If God called you to be an athlete, then be the best athlete this world has ever seen. Live sold out. Do it with excellence for God's glory. And know that if he called you to do something, you cannot fail. You will accomplish it because he called you to do it. He gave you that passion and those desires for a reason. I met this guy one time, right? He lived in my town. And every time I saw him, every time I drove by him, he was doing the same thing. He was running. He was doing push-ups. He was doing pull-ups. He was doing sit-ups. He was running miles at a time on the side of the road, only to be found later on on the local courts playing basketball until nightfall, mastering his craft. So one time I approached him, I said, man, what are you doing all this for? What's the point? He said to me, you must be crazy. Here I was thinking he was the crazy one, and he's calling me crazy. I said, what do you mean? He said, you take this as me wasting my time? Man, I have been given an opportunity. I have been given life, and life abundantly. I want to live a life that's sold out. You see, God has a plan for everyone's life, and his plan for my life is that I be an athlete. And everything I do while I'm an athlete brings glory to the God who gave me the talents that he gave me. I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to squander the things that God's given me. I want to live sold out. I want to run, 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 run. And I want to accomplish what he set before me for his glory. Not mine, not my own strength, but by his glory and his glory alone. I said, really? That's a pretty big goal to make a living as an athlete. He said, yeah, 
You're probably right. But when God calls you to do something, no man can stop you from doing it. It's God's will for my life. He made it clear to me. Therefore, I cannot fail. I'm a flower petal. I said, you're a flower petal. What does that mean? He said, 2 Corinthians, I'm a flower petal. I said, what do you mean? He said, 2 Corinthians 2.14, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. He said, I'm a flower petal, man. I cannot lose. I'm here to bring glory to the general. I said, you lost me. He said, man, that verse is talking about the old days when the Roman legions would march into the city after conquering an enemy in war. And they would lay flower petals all over the roads. And as the horses would march, they would crush these flower petals and release a fragrance into the air that would bring pleasure to the general knowing that his men were victorious. He said, man, i got to live my life as a flower petal, bringing glory to my general, Jesus Christ. And what did God call me to do? He called me to be an athlete. So I can't sleep. I can't rest, I can't squander my time, my talents, or my abilities, because I have one shot at this life, and I'm going to let it sold out, accomplishing the goal that God put before me for His glory, and His glory alone. I cannot rest. I will rest in the next life, but not here. I said, man, how would a guy like me go about knowing God's will for my life? He said, easy, you got to know God. I said, how so? Through his son, he said, Jesus Christ, you have to know his son and not only know his son, but give his son your life, your time, your energy, lay it all down, and believe in him, and he will show you his call for your life. He said, man, there's only one way to experience peace, satisfaction, joy, fulfillment, and all those things in this life, and that is by being in the center of God's will. That man left that day having opened my eyes, and although I don't know much, I know that he was right. And I know that if God called you to be a teacher, be the best teacher this world has ever seen. If God called you to be an athlete, let no other athlete stand on your level. If God called you to build structures, then build structures for the glory of God. If God calls you to be a musician, then rock this world with the best music they've ever heard for the glory of the God who gave you the talent in the first place. Sleep? Who has time? You can sleep in the next life. Rest? You have one shot at this life. This world is going to tell you that what you set out to do is impossible. This world is going to point at your past mistakes and they're going to say, it doesn't matter what God calls you to do, you cannot do it. The world's going to say that you can't, but God says that you can. And when the world says that you're not worth it, they're saying the cross was a mistake. You can do absolutely anything that God has called you to do because he will empower you. He will equip you. So when he puts those things on your heart and he says, go and do them, go and do them. You have one shot at this life. Don't waste your life. I want to talk about like when I started, you know, going to school and stuff, a lot of people put me down. You know what I mean? Like people tease each other. I mean, people come up and say, hey, you're fat, you're fat, you're fat, you're fat, you're fat, you're fat, you're fat. You know, you lose some weight and you're like, you go home and you look at yourself in the mirror and go, I'm fat, right? And so many people tease each other. Oh, you know, you're too short, you're too tall, you look whatever, different hair and all that. It doesn't matter. See, the thing is, when you're in school, when you're growing up in life, it actually sort of matters to people how you look. And then it matters to you because it matters to others. Why? Why does it matter how you look? Because if they don't like you, then who will? If they don't accept you, then who will? And the fear that we have is that we're going to be alone. That we're not good enough. And, you know, we have to change ourselves. And, you know, so many people put me down and say, Nick, you look too weird and no one's really your friend and you can't do this and you can't do that. And I couldn't change anything. It's not like just fixing my hair one day and everything's fine. It's not like, you know, just whatever. I couldn't change my circumstance. I couldn't just one day wake up and say, hey, give me arms and legs. I need arms and legs. You know what I mean? Like, I went to a bodybuilder, you know, and said, can you make me some arms and legs? I'm joking. <laughs> bodybuilder, you get it? <laughs> right? See, so the thing. You know, I go up to people, can you give me a hand? You know, I'm just joking. Yeah. But it was so hard because people put me down. And I started believing that I was not good enough. I started believing that I was a failure. That I'd never, ever be somebody who people would like or people would accept. And it was so hard, man. I thought to myself, I, you know, I can't go on, the, go on the soccer field like everybody else, and I can't ride my bike, and I can't skateboard, and all these sort of things. And I started getting depressed. I thought, what kind of purpose do I have to live? I mean, do you, are, are you just here to live to die? I mean, 
Is there not a purpose for me? Is there not a purpose in life? And I had questions and no answers. And I asked my mom and dad, why did this happen? I asked doctors, why did this happen? They, They don't know. There are some things in life that are out of your control that you can't change and you've got to live with. The choice that we have, though, is either to give up or keep on going. I want to ask you, what are you going to believe? Are you going to believe in yourself? Are you going to believe everybody else's judgment on you? Are you going to believe people when they say that you're a failure? Or no one really likes you, no one really cares about you. And it's not really to say that, hey, you need someone to come up and say, hey, really, I, I like you, I care about you. No, it's not that, but it's the fact that people put you down. People don't even look you in the eye. People ask you how you are, and you say fine, but you're not fine, and they'll, know, they'll never know that. I tell you, life is interesting. Life's a journey. See this phone here? Let's say that I want to go to the phone, right? And I start from over here. Now, to get to the phone, it's not like I'm going to start meditating and going hum, right, and float across the air, right? It's not going to, it's not going to work. It's not like I'm going to go hum and woo, you know, it's not going to work. So I have to take one step at a time, one step at a time, one step at a time. You can only take one step at a time. I don't care how big your step is, it's only one step at a time. You can't do two steps in one. You understand? So it's like one step at a time. And you take steps in this direction, you take steps in that direction. Sort of get lost along the way and sometimes you fall down. But honestly, along the way you might fall down like this. Ready? Hello. So what do you do when you fall down? Get back up. Everybody knows to get back up because if I start walking, I'm not going to get anywhere. But I tell you, there are some times in life where you fall down and you feel like you don't have the strength to get back up. You You sort of put a mask on your face when you come to school and Pretend that everything's okay when it's not and you go home and lay in your bed when no one's looking at you, when you don't have to impress anybody and you're yourself. And fear comes in. You know the fear that you have as soon as you walk into the doors of your house. Maybe there's a broken home. Maybe you have doubt in your life. Maybe you don't know for sure what's going to be happening in the future and it scares you. Maybe you're, about, maybe you're worried about what people think of you, what people say about you. Just that fear paralyzes you. And I just want to ask you today, do you think you have hope? Because I tell you, I'm down here, face down, and I have no arms, no legs. It should be impossible for me to get back up. I mean, you go home and tie the legs and arms of your brothers and, and sisters and, and like push them down. And see how long it's going to take him to get back up. You know what I mean? You know, you can tell him that you'll see him tomorrow. You know what I mean? But this is the thing. It should be impossible for me to get back up. But it's not. You see, I will try 100 times to get up. And if I fail 100 times, if I fail and I give up, do you think that I'm ever going to get up? No. But if I fail, I try again and again and again. For as long as I try, there's always that chance of getting up. Does that make sense? And it's not the end until you've given up. And just the fact that you're here should persuade you that you have another chance to get back up. There's still hope. I'm not here today to tell you that I understand your pain. I don't know how it feels to be abused. I don't know how it feels to feel, quote, fat and you've got an eating disorder. I don't know how it feels to have a broken home. I don't know how it feels. But I know how it feels to have a broken heart. And I know how it feels to be alone. And I want you to know that I found my strength in Jesus Christ. I was dreaming. I saw a huge map of Africa. And then the next thing was, Africa became washed in the precious blood of Jesus, from south to north and from west to east. And I heard a voice cry. That voice was something extraordinary. 
I'm, I'm sure it was the voice of the Holy Spirit. And he cried, Africa shall be saved. It was like a thunder. I woke up. I said, oh, that is wonderful. The Holy Spirit was in the bedroom. I felt the anointing of the Spirit of God. And then my German brain began to tick again. And I thought, my ministry has no impact in this tiny little country of Lesotho. And now I hear God say, Africa shall be saved. There's something wrong. I must have eaten bad bananas last night. But I had that dream four consecutive nights. And after night number four, I said to my wife, Honey, I think God is trying to tell me something. And the mission board of the Felberter Mission, to which I belonged, came to investigate the whole situation. And I thought they were pleased that I was doing so well. But then he took me aside and he said, you cannot go on doing this. The printing press, all my evangelistic developments, they wanted to stop. I was just to be a missionary like their other missionaries. They didn't want anyone to fry an extra sausage. You had to stick to the rules, be like everybody else. And now I was pregnant, kind of pregnant with that vision uh, of, of, of bringing the gospel of salvation to the whole continent of Africa. So I was now s somehow in a dead-end road. I didn't want to offend my German superiors, but I didn't want to offend God. And then I decided to go uh, and hire a room in a hotel uh, right there at the border of, of Lesotho and I thought I'm going to pray here until God has spoken to me. I, I fell on my knees at the bedside there and I said, Lord, for the sake of peace, please allow me to agree with my German brothers. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and then the Lord spoke. Words that make me shake like a leaf in the wind. He said to me, if you drop the vision I gave you of a blood-washed Africa, I have to drop you and give it to someone else to bring it about. I shook, physically, I shook like a leaf. I jumped up. I had been longer than one hour in that hotel room. It was a very short fast. I paid my bill, I jumped into the car, and I drove home, and I said, Annie, 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 God has spoken. Where's my typewriter? I'm going to write a letter to Velvet, and I'm going to resign. Oh, and he said, can't you please sleep one night over it? I said, no, no, I can't, I can't sleep any night because God said he's going to drop me if I drop that vision. So I wrote my resignation and then peace, deep peace came into my heart and I've never looked back. Those very men who tried to prevent it later on congratulated me for not having obeyed them. So that is the blessed outcome. God will not allow anyone to thwart him and his plans. No, he uh, puts people out of the way and puts people in the way. But those who are willing to go that way, I felt God could overnight raise anyone, anyone, anyone else to do that job. But I was so keen to go with him and see nations uh, shaken for Jesus. Before we had the big tent which sat 34,000 people, 
we had one that was sitting about 10,000 people. It was the so-called uh, 10,000 seater. And uh, we moved around South Africa, Southern Africa at that time. And so I came to the Transkei and uh, while we were in the midst of our gospel crusade there, I heard that a very famous African evangelist was just uh, about 50 kilometers away. Uh, I knew his name and I was thrilled that he was so close. So the next day I drove all the way to that other tent and it was not the man there I had expected, not that great African evangelist, but one of his uh, deputies. But we talked and he said the big man of God in 1972 decided to drop his crusade ministry on a large scale. I listened and listened and listened and suddenly I remembered it was in 1972 that God gave me the vision of a blood-washed Africa that shook me to the core. In those days, I had not even known that great man, but the Lord, unbeknown to me, already put in a replacement. He has replacements, and they are all top choices. They are all top choices. They may be number two or number three, but when God gets hold of a man or a woman, he enables them to fulfill that task. And I humbly submit that that was the case in my own life. The moral of the story is, if I were you, I would not procrastinate and I would not just postpone it I would jump and I would do what God has told me to do. It's in any case the highest calling possible on earth. It's the highest form of human living on earth. That's what it is. And to have the honor to be called by God is more than being the president of the mightiest nation the modern day Christians they say to me but Jesus did that yes true he did do that for you and so he did it I don't have to I said okay well why did Peter have to didn't do it and why did John have to do it why did all the rest of the apostles have to then well, why did they have to sacrifice themselves Jesus had done that what about all the martyrs of the 20th century what about Christians that I've heard and, and done documentaries to where they were executed at the foot of Muslims that are executing your brothers and sisters right now. Where is our Lord with them? Does he hate them? We cannot continue as Christians to sit here and say, well, I'll only be a Christian if it's about pro prosperity, you know, that, that we have plenty. I, I want you to remember that when Herod, when Jesus goes in to meet Herod, he wouldn't look at him. Did I just do that because that was a choice? No, it was scripture. He wouldn't look at Herod. You don't have to go out and do a song and dance for seculars because they won't believe. They won't believe anyway. You can pray for them. That's the way it's going to be. But understand, people are going to choose evil, but you don't. And the devil is going to sift you out He's going to look right now. Where are you weak? I can get this guy a million bucks and he'll turn. Ten million for this guy, fifty over here. They'll all turn. They'll all say, well, choice. Choice. My freedom to choose. Every generation of Americans needs to know that freedom exists not to do what you like, but having the right to do what you ought. If you want to look at it this way, the problem I see right now is the fact that many 
many Christians have immersed themselves in paganism. They want to be cool to their Christian or pagan friends by being a little pagan so they can be cool. There's nothing cool in this. The only thing lacking in you, in you is that you don't, you don't want to be holy. Well, here's what will happen. We'll all come to task one day. And you either get a chance to lay it down for Jesus or you get to deny him. But it will come in our generation this way. There are many things that you see on the horizon right now where you're going to have to make a choice. You will have to make a choice. I was in Croatia recently. There were 26 Roman Catholic priests, Franciscans, 26 of them. Stalin had taken over. We had sold out. We gave Stalin the whole East, Eastern Europe, and many people paid for this, paid with their lives. The communists came in. They took the crucifix down. They put it down, and they said, deny this to the priest. Deny this, or you'll you die. And they executed him. He said, no, I won't deny it. Shot the second guy, too. By that time, the captain said, bring my jeep over, take the gasoline. Grab the most weakest man here, the man in the wheelchair, Franciscan. Pour the gasoline on him. He lit a match. He says, you guys want to see this? And he looks to his brothers and he says, let me burn. They burned him and they shot the rest of them. But they all had a chance. Now, is that hard to hear? Is the passion hard to watch? Your death is imminent. I hear people all the time in Hollywood, they say, you know what? My agent just died. And he was so embarrassed by his death, he didn't want anybody coming in because it was, it was very hard for those people to watch. Well, guess what? Suck it up. We need Christians to go look death in the face and understand the next point, to encourage these people to understand that eternity awaits them. We're all going to die the first death. Hopefully not the second. God never sends a man to hell. People choose this place. Yeah. Our democracy cannot be sustained without a shared commitment to certain moral truths about the human person and the human community. The basic question before a democratic society is this. How ought we to live together? And in seeking an answer to this question, can society exclude moral truth and moral reasoning? Set yourselves apart from this corrupt generation, my brothers and sisters. You weren't made to fit in. You were born to stand out. Will you ask me this? I will tell you what I know God wants me to say. Sure. Number one, I love you. I love you. That's what you want to hear, isn't it? Number two, you are all going to heaven. And you say, how do you know this? It's very simple. God had been in your heart a long time. He's been dormant, some of you. Some of you, much more alive. But continually, God is asking for more conversion. Why do you believe? Let me tell you, a man can be a soldier in the military for 20 years and never see one day of combat. But when he's in that foxhole and he's losing his own men, he's on a whole nother level. God is preparing you now for this level. I will tell you how I know that God loves you this much and how I know that you're all going to heaven. Some of you have had abortions. Some men here and women are adulterers. Some have committed murder. Some of you didn't have the abortion, but you paid for it, so you have contributed to this. Many people are a part of this great sin in this country. Over 50 million in the United States alone. 45 million die every year in the world. These are all God's children, and God brings them home. Now he wants to bring you home, now, in this moment. This is a chance for heaven right now. You don't have to wait to die to experience heaven. But when you committed the sin, any of the Ten Commandments, 
for the sin of abortion or contributed to it. Let me be very clear. Did you go to one of your friends and ask your friend, hear my story? And you say, yes, I went to one person. I said, why do you go to this person to confide in this sin to them? Because they didn't judge me. Because they loved me. Because I felt mercy and grace. Now, I ask you this. Do you think that your God doesn't have more mercy than your friend? Do you think your friend has more grace than God? Does your friend have more love than the Creator? It can never be. It can never be. So, God forgives you. And now He needs you to begin again. To accept forgiveness. Earlier I said, God never sends a man into hell. People choose this place. Your choice. God made you and loves you. There's never been another like you. He deemed that you would come here. He asked you and you came. Today, you came. You had the courage to come. And there was plenty parts of the world that pulled you from today from even coming, but you came. Don't you know how much God will remember this? Do you think he is a, a God that's just sitting there waiting to toss you off? You are perfect. There is no one else like you. And without you, he would cry. So he's coming to you now. Right now, in this moment. All he has to hear from you is yes. Yes, you've accepted Jesus, some of you. Keep accepting him. Every time we sin, we deny him. Be holy. Be perfect just as my father is perfect. Or in the passion. Ha'ozina otiabui. Kuma bezrati. Shamereni meresha tasher tamanuelai. Bakakasaya nafshia denai. Bakakasiti. Kap takti. Ba kulitakehu henkehel kosia demini. Ken lakisfa. Lehue di lakisfa. Milafil komare he mahaki hida. Hita hibu denale dena. Kokaver diana a hevef lakom antun. Hita hibu lakom. My commandment to you is this. You love one another just as I have loved you. And if that doesn't grab you, maybe this one will. Your name may not appear down here in this world's hall of fame. In fact, you may be so unknown that no one knows your name. The Oscars and the praise of men may never come your way, but don't forget God has rewards that he'll hand out someday. This crowd on earth, they will soon forget when you're not at the top. They will cheer like mad until you fall, and then their praise will stop. Not God, he never does forget, and in his hall of fame, by just believing on his son, forever there's your name. I tell you, friend, I wouldn't trade my name, however small. It's written there beyond the stars in that celestial hall. For all the famous names on earth, or the glory that they share, I'd rather be an unknown here and have my name up there. God bless you. You are a rebel. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, I'll tell you, straight up. You are a rebel against the living God. This is your natural disposition. Why? Because you were born in sin. We are in a prison cell. And it takes the awakening and the grace of God, you call it the provenient grace of God, to awaken us to the fact that we are lost and we can't get out. We're headed towards destruction fast. The enemy, because of our rebellion against God, has legal rights to harm and harass our life. There you are behind the prison cell. Help! I need out! You can't get out. Those prison bars are stronger than any adamant. There is no way you can cut them because they're stronger than diamond. It is impenetrable. You cannot escape. You're doomed. Because when the enemy comes in in the very end, and he's going to finish you off. Because he has legal right to do it. And he's going to relish every minute of it. In strolls your intercessor. Your mighty man. Stands between you and that accuser, and he takes the hit. 
that was rightfully yours. He takes the blow that was intended for you. That is an extraordinary reality that he was turned to a pulp and he actually died. God died for you. Over your prison cell, it has always said condemned, separated eternally from God, guilty. And then suddenly it switches. When you realize what Jesus Christ has done, it says justified. It says forgiven, redeemed. Here's the problem. Most of us have stopped with the good news right there. The blood of Jesus Christ has been shed and he was killed. And I want you to know that is unbelievable news. But we are still in a prison cell. And so we're praising God from within a prison cell going, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for changing the sign on the outside of the prison. And God's word says, could you check the door to the prison cell? Because my blood was shed for more than just forgiveness. Forgiveness was the avenue through which he could make the escape for us. He isn't just interested in dealing with the consequences or the penalty of sin. He's also dealt with the problem of sin. Test the door. It's unlocked. The door to the prison cell is unlocked. Walk out. Smell the open air of freedom and liberty in the life of Jesus Christ. When you get outside the prison cell, there's like this chariot that's waiting. Emissaries from the king, and they say, the king beckons you into his presence. You know how bizarre this is when you realize that you were a rebel? That you were undeserving completely? The living God has literally given up his life for you, and now he has set you free, and now the very king is beckoning you into his presence? It's like, are you sure you have the right guy here? I'm a rebel. I, I stood against my God. I spat in his face. How could he want me? The king beckons you. You get in the chariot. And as you're pulling into the kingdom, you're looking for where they might drop you off. You're looking for that poor district. You say, where, where are you taking me? Well, into the very near presence of the king. He wants you to live right where he lives. Not just the penalty. Not just the problem. But an invitation into his very near presence. But as you're coming in, the emissaries say, he wants to adopt you. We are brought in and invited near to share his heart. You come into his presence totally broken before the reality of what he has done for you. I don't deserve this. Why have you done this for me? I love you. I have a commission for you. For me? You want to have me work for you? I want you to work for me. I want you to represent me. Absolutely. Anything I can do for you, just tell me. I need you to go back to that prison cell that I took you out of because there's a whole bunch more that need to know about me and my love and my truth. Will you go for me? In a heartbeat, I would, I would gladly serve you any way you want, any way you ask. I need to forewarn you. I'm going to send you out and you'll be as a sheep among wolves. They'll kill you. They'll destroy you. They'll hate you. They'll persecute you. They will do whatever they can to harm you. I'm in. I'll do it, God. I don't care. You shed your blood for me. I would gladly shed my blood for you. Take my body. Take my blood. Spend it any way you want. I belong to you in, in covenant. Take me, Lord Jesus. Send me. The commission, not just the penalty, not just the problem, not just the invitation to his very near presence, not just the adoption as a son and a daughter of the King of Kings, but we are commissioned to represent him. And I want you to realize that is a privilege beyond all other privileges to bear the very name, the very image, the very reputation of God Almighty. And he says, I ask you to go. Go and make disciples of all men. Go and be unashamed of my gospel and preach it. Go, rescue the lost in the power of my name. For it's not the lamb that was slain worthy to receive the reward of his suffering. I'll go. And as you're beginning to head out with his blessing, he says, Hold it. Wait, there's one more thing. 
not just the pathway, not just the problem, not just the invitation to his very near presence, not just the adoption as the son or a daughter of the king, and not just the commission. This is the capstone. If you think that is all good, you could wrap that all up into one ball and it still falls short of the final one. Because this final one is so condescending on the part of our king. It is so bewildering, it is so extraordinary, so amazing. And this is the truth that turns the world upside down. Before you go, what I'm sending you out to do is impossible. I know. And if you do it in your own strength, you'll fail. I don't care. I'm willing to do whatever you ask of me. And if you want me to go in there and just die, I'm willing. I'm sending you out to be a victor. My children will not lose. Would you give me your body? And I will come in and make it my home. And I will take those hands of yours and make them my hands. I will take those feet of yours and make them my feet. I will take that mouth of yours and it will speak my words. I will take those eyes of yours and they can now see what I need you to be seen in this world. And I will take your heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh so that it will beat with my burdens and you will care for the very things that I care about. And your prayers will become my prayers. And your life and your attitude and your behavior every minute of every day will be the very behavior of God. Will you allow me to overtake your life? Because then we go into this world as little lambs with the faces of lions. Because the living God Almighty, the consuming, almighty, sovereign God dwells within his children. And as we stand and the wolf pack surrounds us, we stand in the authority in the name of Jesus and we will not back down. Because we do not head off to war to lose. We head off to war to win. Our God mocks all the powers of earth and hell through fluffy little lambs. Because his lambs beat the wolf pack. That's the gospel. The gospel trounces upon all the powers of earth and hell and demonstrates to the universe the manifold wisdom of God that He is in control. And even though we look weak, and even though physically and naturally we are weak, spiritually, greater is He that is in us than He that is in this world. That is good news. And it is a lot better than what's being dealt out today in the church. We need to rise up, proclaim the gospel, and say, I'm unashamed of it. Dear Lord Jesus, take what is rightfully yours. Don't just send us. Send us with yourself. Firmly planted within our souls. We cannot do your work. We cannot bring you glory. Even though we're willing to do it without you. Please, if you want to come with us, why in the world would we ever try? You don't have to go on your own. You don't have to pull off the impossible on your own. You don't have to fail any longer. Your God is ready to do it in and through you. You can't do it. You can't muster up the discipline. You can't muster up the intellect. You can't muster up the strength. You can't muster up the perseverance and the fortitude. He can. You can't love the lost. You can't love those that spit upon your face. He can. Don't pray that God would teach you how to love like He loves. Pray that He would fill you with Himself and He would love in and through you. Don't pray that He would teach you to have joy. Pray that the living God full of joy would enter into you. Don't pray that He would teach you how to be peaceful. Ask for the God of peace, the Prince of Peace, to infill you. Because if you try and imitate your own strength, you will be a miserable replica. But if you allow the impartation of Jesus Christ to overtake you, suddenly it all works. Because it's Him imitating Himself. And He's very good at being God.